Here's something to make you scream. We have partnered with Paramount Pictures to give away five copies of Radio Silence's Scream. To enter in this giveaway, you must be following at Nightlight underscore pod on Twitter, find our pinned tweet, and subtweet or comment with your favorite scary movie. We will actually be choosing a a winner at random on April 14th. Own the all-new Scream movie on 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray, starring Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox. Scream is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Own it today and get killer bonus content, including interviews with the cast, deleted scenes, and much more. Directed by Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillette. Rated R from Paramount Pictures. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we got David. I still need to figure out a greeting. You do need to figure out a greeting. Yeah. But he's still nightly. <laughs> Freddie is not here. Freddie actually just got back from uh, South by Southwest. Yeah, exciting. Great time. Super exciting. I heard he um, also met a ghoulish knight there. Oh. Yeah. I I'm, I don't know who he met. He met everyone there. He did meet a lot of people, but he did he did mention that a ghoulish knight came to see him there. And I, was, That's I thought exciting. that was really fucking cool. So shout out to you. I don't know who it was. I, my apologies, but shout the fuck out to you because that is the coolest shit that I've ever heard happening. Like, you probably really made cool. Freddy's day and he probably told you, you made my day. Probably. <laughs> you probably did. And, and you made all of our days included in that. So that was really fucking cool of you. And thank you for doing that, whoever you are. We are thinking of you, but we don't know who you are to think about completely. But we are still a group of knights with absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not with a woo. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad, free and as early as Monday with a post show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, keeping things going with our, our two years in this shit month, <laughs> also known as Pandemic Horror Month, this started off, wow, Contagion, two and a half hours, y'all. You know, I was still thinking about that movie this week. I was too. Yeah. Yeah, it was something about it. It just... It, it, I started getting with you. relaxed with things easing up with COVID and then that movie, <laughs> we watched it two Ow. years later. and Right in the kisser. Oh, yeah. And now, like, supposedly cases are going back up again, but which seems obvious, right? Because, like... Well, it's so weird. I feel like last week they were like, everything's going back to normal. Right. And, like, five days later, it's, it's like... Surprise! <laughs> the, uh, the surge spikes in Europe uh, causing the U.S. to panic. Good times. <laughs> We're never getting out of this. Good times. <laughs> anyway, to keep this, this month going, we are kind of bringing in a left field pandemic movie. It's a super interesting movie, in my opinion. Pool. Mm. First and foremost, David, thoughts? It's a very interesting take on War of the Worlds, like a twist on it. Yeah. Um, it's very fascinating huh? to see this all take place in a radio station. Yeah. And so contained. Yeah. And, and yet it felt kind of grand. <laughs> it does, right? Because again, looking at that world of the wars twist, you the difference is it's actually happening here. And right. the information that's coming in is being 
kind of piece together from whatever they can gather versus kind of having all the information and being the source of information. And uh, that creates its own element of horror. Um, yeah. It really tries to be unique in its way that its virus is spread. It's a little confusing, though. Very. And I think that's the point. Yeah. I think you're supposed to be as confused as the people in this world. Right. right? Yeah. Um. And I mean, they, they say something very clever, like make the words not make sense. And a lot of the words in this movie don't make sense. It was like, totally. What, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. I, <laughs> Cause I feel like if I was in this situation, I'd be like, what you mean? Like, I know what you're saying. Like, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, mean you want me to forget. Like, <laughs> um, so I believe this was adapted from a book. Do you know if that's correct? I don't know if that's correct, but um, now I'm curious. Cause I, I wonder if the you're right. It book. was. It was by Tony Bruges. Got it. I yes. wonder if the book just makes it make more sense. And this was something where you had to cram a lot into an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, uh, very interesting. I, I think it's it's fascinating that it all takes place within the radio station and you have the fear of the unknown and the fear of not having enough information for your safety um, along with this clever contagious spread of the virus it's so very clever. unique yeah so clever so so incredibly unique um there was a spin-off movie called dreamland that was released in 2019 of this and there's a direct sequel called Pontypool changes that is currently in development oh wow so uh the name of the book is Pontypool changes everything and it was uh first published in 1995 hmm yeah. Interesting. This felt very zombie-like. I mean, I guess it was. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Like, ways, I mean, yeah. it, it's it's an interesting way to have a viral infection be utilized to take over, I guess, a group of people just by words. Because, like, it's 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 crazy where you think of the, the terminology of uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never hurt me, and like. This literally took that literal. That should have been in the trailer. It should have like been. imagine the slow reveal of sticks and stones will never hurt me, and then like it cuts. Um, but words definitely Dude. will. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that would be great. But yeah, it, it's interesting because like I've never seen a concept like this. It feels very much like. Let me go to Barnes and Noble. Let me find a book that's very unique. And yeah. it's like, oh, this is a book about the English language being a viral or I guess a airborne, whatever they decided it was. I don't even know how you would describe it, but a virus that can be spread through hearing the English language. Right. It's like, oh, that's a unique book. I'll check it out. It's interesting. It's so interesting. And like, I, it feels like an allegory on social media in general. Um, but I don't know. Like, it, it's it's so it's fascinating. It's just fascinating. Like the fact that it was in a radio station and things like that um, kind of felt very, in some ways, social media like. Like they, they, they had a persona that was here on the radio station that had to be this guy. Um, there were times in this movie that I felt like it didn't know what it wanted to be. I'm glad you said that. This is my second time seeing this movie. And I, I, I actually enjoy this movie just to let everybody um, know my thoughts. But. Um, it, there are times in this movie where I'm just like, is it trying to be comedic here? Like, like, is it trying to be serious? Like, cause it, tonally the movie feels like it should be a comedy. Like it feels like Grant should be a comedic force. 
Yeah, and then you have uh, the doctor that arrives halfway through, and he seems right. like he's trying to be comedic relief. Yeah, but it's very confusing. It's pr- pretty confusing. And then we have when uh, Sydney gets drunk, and she's comedic relief around this time. I was just upset. Yeah. I was like, "Shh, should be quiet." Yeah, yeah. I was just like, Shh. but yeah, it, it was. Uh, it, th- that was my um, like my main complaint with this movie. But all overall, like tonally, this movie fucking rules. Like it's just like it tonally, it's there for me. Like it, it just really hits every aspect of what I would expect from like an original piece of. Uh, screenplay it is original like this definitely felt original like i've never seen anything like it yeah it's a really good point yeah i've never seen anything like it but good point by bringing up the comparities of uh 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 what is it called war of the worlds war of the worlds thank you i was gonna say the world's end but i was like i'm looking at the poster of our fucking (laughs) (laughs) edgar wright poster over here i was like that's not it (laughs) but anyway let's go ahead and jump straight up into this body pool directed by bruce mcdonald release may 29th 2009 Runtime of one hour and 35 minutes, no budget found, a box office of $32,000 and a rating of 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. We open to a man's voice on an equalizer about a woman named Mrs. French and her cat, Honey, being missing, which is fucking genius in retrospect because this doesn't make sense to us unless you watch the movie Mm -hmm. where... French is the language that is not, I guess, a part of this virus. Yeah. And using terms of endearment like honey mm-hmm. are trigger words for this virus. So odd. So weird. Yeah. So weird. Maybe it's the fact that like some people use those words so loosely. I don't know. Like, like there are certain people who call me honey. Or whatever, like, or who will even call me baby, yeah. or whatever. Um, but like, I w- I would never use the terms of endearment that I use for my wife on anyone else. Like, I would never call anyone else love. Yeah. Um. So, I don't. Intriguing. Sharing that the signs are posted around town, nobody seeing Honey the Cat until last Thursday morning. Colette P- P- Piscini swerved her car to miss the cat while driving on the bridge um, Pont de Flac. He shifts, educating that Colette sounds like culotte. Um, panty in French means piscine, uh, or excuse me, culotte, which means panty in French, and piscine means pool. Flac means, also means pool. He continues that Pony Pool drives over, um, drives over the Pont de Pool to avoid hitting Mrs. French cat in Pony Pool. It's just like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Thank you, because I was wondering, like, do I just, <laughs> just you're not have the, the attention ride. span? Yeah. No, like, you're just all for the ride. I think that's the point. Like, okay. I think that is the point that we are not supposed to understand, because the, the it's that sequence in this movie later where it's just like say things that don't make sense like say things that you should understand but change it like (laughs) you know what's funny when i started this movie i was like you know for the last few months i've been watching these movies with subtitles i'm gonna try this one without subtitles oh bad move bad move bad move indeed the equalizer becomes larger as the disembodied voice continues the story about what norman mailer theorizes about the jfk assassination things coming back and coinciding with one another a ripple effect wondering what what it all means as a title fades in one letter at a time so cool Really cool title um, shot here, answering that it means something big is going to happen, but then something always is about to happen. 
Fair point. I mean, you know, like the dude is spitting facts. Something does always <laughs> happen, you know. <laughs> we fade to a car driving down a snowy, desolate road, the radio sharing the death of Ronald Klein. Grant Mazzy is on the phone with his agent, Rick, yelling at them for not being available. He shouts that his uh, that he's fired, closing his flip phone. Wow. That was a time. I miss those times. I do too, man. I do too. It's so satisfying. Just like... I had a sidekick though, so I mean I did too. What? Yeah. Oh, even more satisfying. <laughs> just, you just flip it all the time. Yeah. It was great. Uh the sidekick two or one? I had my first sidekick was a psychic ID, and then I had a psychic three, and Dang, then I got a sidekick. No, I didn't. Uh, all my all mine were like secondhand, actually. I like bought them off Craigslist or like off like people I mean, at different the schools. Best way to get phones. Yeah. And then I got an LX. And then I got another Alex in a different color. Oh, damn, he was balling, y'all. <laughs> he shouts at his fire, closing his flip phone and throwing it at the floor of his car. His phone rings. He has to pull over to pick it up off the floor, startled by a woman hitting on his window. That would have scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when I saw this scene, I, was, I, I thought about my face in the moment and the quick like, it's cool, I'm cool. <laughs> like, I ain't scared. <laughs> I wouldn't scare the fucking guy. I would have drove off. <laughs> that would have scared the shit out of me. Like, I would, I, I, yeah, I don't know what I would have done. That was going to shit out of me. Uh, maybe, maybe Rio's right. We would not survive in Australia, nah. even though I don't It'd know. Be a Australia. kangaroo <laughs> at the window. <laughs> that would scare me even more. <laughs> God damn it! He can't make it out. Uh, which, he can't make out what she's saying. Um, he rolls down the window. The woman floats backwards. That would have been my cue to been like, okay, I'm out. Like, <laughs> like I thought she walked backwards. Damn, I didn't know she was floating. She did, does walk backwards, but it's like, yeah, yeah like, yeah, like very floaty. <laughs> <laughs> Calling out to, uh, to her to see who she is, his voice um, mocked as it is echoed back toward him. So this is cool. This is where we kind of get the first experience of just like, okay, something's up. Like it, something's wrong here, and this is the virus talking. I guess, um, trying to find as as uh, Minda says, its victim. Mm. Um, so super intriguing, and you wouldn't know that until you watch this a second time, right? Or in retrospect, yeah, exactly. Confused, he shuts his window before heading to the radio station. Grant pulls up to the to his parking spot, his voice playing on the radio, shouting out some children's birthdays. He head um he heads inside, pumping himself up before greeting his tech assistant Laurel Ann. She she chuckles that she uh, loves his segment. Isn't it ironic? His phone rings. He checks and silences it, placing it back into his pocket, asking if she, if she got him the good stuff. She taps the cabinet. He excitedly pulls out the bottle in in his packaging, asking Laurel Ann for a favor to look up all the all the 911 calls from the past 24 hours, thanking her. He heads into his booth, pulling out the alcohol and pouring it into his coffee, smiling back at Laurel Ann. I thought it was nighttime. Like, I thought it was like kind of like a Salem's, uh, Lords of Salem type of thing where they have a late show. Yeah, on the I radio. thought that too. Because it was like dark. He said it was six o'clock. I was just morning like, show then. Yeah. So I was like, okay, morning show. in Canada. So I wonder if the sun comes out later. I don't know. Canadian listeners. Does the sun come out later in Canada versus California? I guess this is stuff we can look up too, but we're lazy. So <laughs> if you know, please tell us. Um, she preps up Grant. He's on the air greeting the residents of Pontypool with his smooth velvet radio voice. I was so jealous of his radio voice, though. Like, yeah, he does like, have a great voice. Velvet. 
True. <laughs> but I feel nice. like that comes with age. That does. That does. Maybe age, alcohol, and cigarettes. Yeah. Like, I was just like, Get it sounds it. real good. <laughs> you know, I ain't that dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing the station 660, the beacon and himself. With a sip from his spiked coffee, he shares his strange experience of the woman hitting his... Uh, uh, of the woman hitting his window, wanting to get the ad- advice of the listeners on why they feel the need to call 911. He mentions his producer, Sydney Bur- uh, Breyer, and introduces Laurel-, Laurel Ann as well. Continuing to speak into the airwaves, sharing Laurel Ann's tour of, of duty in Afghanistan. Sydney mentions that uh, that being old news and she was a grandmaster of, of last year's fall fair. I'm going to call her L.A. from now on because, like, yeah. <laughs> L.A. argues that she uh, was the homecoming hero. Sydney apologizes. Grant inst- um, instigating the situation. She rolls her her hand for him to keep going. This is great. Like, this giving us, like, this insight of how they work together and, and um, kind of just what their roles are. Yeah. is pretty cool because Sydney is his producer. Um, kind of giving him the the cues and just like, hey, like keeping him on task and all this other shit. When Laurel Land is like plug and play, like this is this is what we're gonna do, like as a tech assistant kind of thing. So it was really cool to kind of see their dynamic of how they start, where you kind of get a sense that as things progress, he's not from this town. Mm-hmm. Like he was hired on to be this voice because of his agent, and I think that's why he was so pissed off at his agent was because he was just like, you got me in this small bumfuck town called Pontypool. And I don't know if this is a real place, but like, <laughs> you got me in this small town. Um, and like, I don't want to be here. Like, I, he he sounds like he came from like Ontario um, or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I don't know. But, um, you know, a thing that's hard for me to understand, probably because I'm a stupid American, is the fact that like provinces are a thing. Like, it's so hard for me to understand provinces. Are they equivalent to like our states? I thought so, but I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm not sure because it I, it sounds like Canada has states of their own. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I just remember shipping something out to Canada once, and it was like asking for the province. I was like, ah, oh, they didn't put that. Like, I don't know. Like, it was, so I had to like look up their province, and I was like, what the what? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he continues with the top story about the weather. Ken Looney, the Sunshine Chopper theme song plays. Um, he points to L.A. to turn him up. Ken shares that is is brighter above the clouds. Grant greets him, asking if he's going to stay in the helicopter during the storm. He is. Grant, not thinking that um, that to be safe. But Ken is going to be on Stormwatch, watching all all routes. Grant comments that he he wouldn't want to be up there. Sydney speaking to him directly in his headphones to not call her call her girl and to leave Ken alone. Ken is sharing all the news about the surrounding area before uh, getting off air. Grant thanks him before breaking news of uh, the Caesar Caesarea, I think is what he called the Ontario Prov- uh, Provincial Police. See, Ontario, I think is a province. Got it. I think Ontario's a province. See, this is the thing. Geography, not my, my, my forte. Not going to lie to you. Horror, though? Yeah. The horror? Gotcha. <laughs> but, like, geography? Don't ask me where the fuck Kansas is. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I don't know where Kansas is. I just know California. Okay. You know what's weird? You don't know where we, Kansas is either? No. <laughs> I think I do. But we have Kansas, 
in, in Arkansas? In Arkansas. Arkansas? Arkansas. <laughs> uh, tell me, like, how. <laughs> you know, English. <laughs> anyway, uh, the Ontario Provincial Police, uh, a drug bust in a quiet cul-de-sac. And Constable Howard Ng believes this uh, this as a sign for things to come. L.A. Press's play on Ng's interview about these dr- these drug operations. Grant asks Sydney if if she smokes weed. She tells him that he that she does. Um, they have a little back and forth. Uh, to not make global warming jokes, L.A. brings him back a grant thanking Ng before mentioning uh, that their local pot growers are engaged in a deadly serious business. Deadly booby traps protecting their operations from prying eyes and landmines have been found in backyards. Sydney tells him to keep it cool, but he continues spreading fear. She asks him uh, what he's what's he's doing. What he's oh my gosh. She asks, what is he doing? Um, he tells the listeners that she's talking in his ears, thankful, thankful that they can't hear her. <laughs> Man, their banter. Is like this is where I was just like, okay, this movie's gonna be like a comedy when I first watched it. I was like, all right, this is gonna be kind of funny. It's gonna be a, a horror comedy. Then it shifts like drastically. Yeah, it does. You know, I actually found Sydney to be very uptight. <laughs> I was really annoyed. You know, I'm with you. I right. was, she definitely was not a, a favorite character of mine. Yeah, <laughs> I was not the biggest fan of Sydney being on screen. Um, she just, yeah, she just seemed, yeah, she just seemed a little like uptight. Like just like, like this is her life. Yeah, and she she wasn't there to have fun, and she didn't particularly enjoy how things were going. Yeah, she was not digging the way he was. I don't know, disc jockey. I don't know what 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 are these people? He's a host, just a radio host, yeah. radio talk show host. All right, not a DJ, not a disc jockey, not a, not a DJ, not, not a, a DJ. disc jockey. Not a disc I didn't jockey. see no discs nor jockeys. I saw a disc once. Oh, it was a disc once in this movie. Uh, in a CD player. <laughs> she continues uh, that nobody cares. He relays it um, into the microphone, ignoring the rest of what she needs him to do, naming off the school closures, thinking that the masses do care, sharing full, full disclosure. Sydney, Sydney yells, reiterating that she needs him. She, she needs, excuse me. I don't know why I wrote it that way. Reiterating that she needs him to name off the school closures. She goes over to L.A. Um, cutting Grant off uh, right before he concludes. He yells, that, he yells that she just can't cut him off like that. She shares in the intercom about the full disclosure stick works better in the bigger context. He tells her uh, that's what got him fired. She agrees, sharing the, uh, that small towns already come, already come without prisoners because they gossip. Okay, so this is the context we need where it's giving us uh, the fact that, like, Okay, he lost his job. Yeah. And he when he lost his job prior to this, like that is where we kind of find out that like okay, he's just doing this because like this is this is just his shit. Like he's just like I just need to not be a disc jockey anymore and be a host. With his with his reaction <laughs> of um you know, shouting, you can't just cut me off. It seems like they're they're newly working together. Yes. Like this is a new like, this, thing. this this sounds like it might be like maybe his first week yeah. of being there or something because like they have the posters up in, in the studio and things like that um, or at the station. Um, and like his even his parking spot looked like kind of pristine um, compared to I mean, we didn't really see anything else around, but like still it looked pretty pristine. So like this felt like he has only been working there for a very, very short time. Yeah. So 
He believes that he's building a relationship with his listeners. Sydney reminds him that they were supposed to cover, uh, reminds him of what they're supposed to cover and what she needs him to do, wondering what he needs to disclose to them anyway. He comments that he's uh, he's trying to piss some people off because pissed off uh, listeners um, is considered a wide awake listener who's not going to change the station. That person possibly calling their pissed off relative and the uh, cycle continuing. That being the way to build a loyal listening audience. She reminds him that he's doing a, a first rate job, sharing that the, the small towns and proud and the small town that small towns are proud places with proud people. People who need to know if the bus if the school bus is coming. <laughs> it's like, man, I it, you know, it makes me never want to live in a small town. I'm just telling you that now. That sounds horrible. You know, for a majority of my life, I would have said the same thing, but as I'm getting older, I'm like, doesn't sound too bad. You know, I don't want people in my business though. Yeah, but I just want to know if the bus is coming. <laughs> like, like, do you ride the bus? <laughs> no, <I don't. laughs> but like it's just. What if I was in a small town? Maybe. I mean, it's the line that where she says that uh, there are no prisoners here because everyone gossips. That's true. Yeah, like that. That scares. That the sounds like fun. Oh yeah, me. I mean that's scary. Yeah, I, mean, you know, I don't want. I don't want. I, I don't want to be a part of people's gossip. <laughs> like I just don't. I just. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I feel you. But like it's, it's weird. Like, have you seen that show? You. Uh no, but you know what? I've seen bits and pieces of it. Okay. Well, in one of those seasons or whatever, I don't I didn't finish it, but in one of those seasons he moves to a small town. Yeah. And everyone knows everyone and it's weird. And I'm just like, I don't want to know everybody. I, I I'm an introvert in some ways. I am an introvert as like, well. Like I just But I'm an care. introvert where I'm like, I want everyone to 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 want to know me but i'm a denier yeah. <laughs> oh hey you're david nope <laughs> yep. and then you walk away like wow they remembered my name <laughs> amazing those people just thinking that he's a dick with with his tactics try to listen um tired of listening to the um bashing he acknowledges she comments that she wants his mazziness but she just needs him to come in a little bit slower la wanting wanted to hear what he was going to say sydney believes he was going to talk about himself back on air he wants to share something that's been bugging him all morning cut to a poster of the lost honey the cat with mocks of grant's voice of who are you accompanied with it grant is sharing this the story about the woman appearing out of nowhere on his way to work sydney is uh, making some hot hot water while she sits down opening her phone a lot of people was making hot water in this movie well actually just two people but a lot of hot water was being made in this movie and it was never utilized <laughs> like, like, like no one made coffee or like made tea or anything yeah. like this just it was just they just made it to make it uh she closes her phone sighing as grant continues speaking through the microphone sharing the number of for advice he cuts to commercial she watches from the door the phone rings. Ellie picks up the line asking the caller uh, where they are calling from. Sydney comes into the room asking if asking her if Mrs. Tripp called in yet. She tells Sydney no while hanging up the phone. Sydney finds it weird that Tripp hasn't called since she uh, never misses a day. Hmm. Okay. So we're getting some interesting things going on. Yeah. Like this, this movie does mystery extremely well. Yeah, it does. Extremely well. Because like, all this shit, pure investment. 
Yeah. Like, I'm just like, okay, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm fucking invested completely. You know who could probably tell us what provinces are? We have a Canada division, everybody. I, I, want, I want to share that out right now. We do have a Canada division of Good Night, where it's a new show that we do have on the Good Night Podcast Network called Fight Night, also with a K. Obviously. Great name, <laughs> Obvio. Um, but like, <laughs> call back, call back. But uh, yeah, like we we do have this show. It is ran by Andreas and Liv, and there are our Canadian representatives, if you will. But they'll know. <laughs> Checking with our Canadian office. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know where that is. <laughs> in Canada, we'll check them there. It's in Canada. But no, uh, shouts out to them. Definitely check them out. They're on episode uh, when this episode is released. I want to say episode six for them. But it's a really cool concept, a really cool show. So definitely check them out. She also wonders where Roger is since it is almost ten. Ellie asks what those cards are. They are uh, they are Valentine Day cards from Grant. She comments that he's doing okay before side hugging Ellie and telling her that uh, she's calling that she's going to call Trip and something is coming in in on the radio. Ellie puts the card on the table, turning up the radio for the dispatchers having a code forty eight as at the fish huts. She calls Sydney back into the room. She comes back as the dispatcher shares the address for, uh, for backup uh, requests. She asks, "What is code forty eight? Ellie answering that it um, that it is a hostage situation. There's nothing on the wire, so she's uh, going to key in Grant. Sydney tells her uh, not to do anything just with it just yet, checking and not seeing anything. On on the wire either instructing her again to uh to not feed it into grant but she already has done so <laughs> grant gets a call from a man uh named gord throwing an idea uh, about a non-emergency police line he like completely shoes off gord He's like yeah yeah thank you gord uh anyway like i break a news here blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like we got a hostage situation <laughs> fuck you gord i think it, it really does a good job in showing that he is not easily um kind of dissuade or tamed yeah in he, some ways it's to him like the news that he's he's getting in or like the people he, he speaks to it doesn't really have a great effect on him so when we see that shift later yeah. we see the contrast of it definitely completely agree he pulls the other mic toward his face, reading the message from L- from L.A. about the hostage situation. Grant shoes him away um, by telling him that it's a great idea. He breaks the news about the hostage situation where two men are holding a van load of people at gunpoint. He looks over at Sydney, smiling with a look that just screams, I told you so. <laughs> she tells him to lose the story and go to Ken, the sunshine chopper. Grant um, continues that no one knows what the hostage um, takers want or if they know the people in the van. Sydney commenting that they're all drunk in its fishing season he slightly ignores her by continuing by continuing into the mic about it being the end of ice fishing season the chances of there being a drunk fisherman is stark is a stark reality pushing the envelope by in, involving potential drunk officers he chuck, he chuckles that the hostage um, situation has resolved itself laughing about the fact that three people the cops were holding fleed the scene sydney is over it and la is embarrassed telling him to wrap it up as grant finally flips it to ken Great shit. I love him. Like, <laughs> like he is great. Cindy comes into the booth, Grant laughing and trying to lighten up the mood um, that they need to laugh at themselves sometimes. She doesn't believe the story to be funny, sharing that Derek and Bob are both alcoholics and are trying to keep their jobs. Well, that's that. Yeah. <laughs> Add in that Derek is her ex-brother-in-law. All he could say is ouch. <laughs> and... and I, I like the way that they piece 
in juxtaposition in some ways in this film um, because it, it feels like everything is just so secondhanded. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's really cool. Yeah, like it, I, it's it's clever. It's just clever as hell. It's written like it was from a novel. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's very very clever. She continues spilling more secrets to the fact that uh, Ken is not in a chopper, rather a Dodge Dart, where he plays sound effects. Damn, why you gotta put him under the bus like that? <laughs> Sheesh. Leave him alone in his Dodge Dart. (laughs) And he sits on a hill for his aerial view, um, but people are thrilled to have him in the sky um, as the sunshine chopper. He jokes of betting that they are. He tells her that uh, he hates the winter. She chuckles that everybody does. But he claims not, not like him, feeling like he's living in the basement of the world. It being cold and dark, she comments that he'll be okay leaving out of the booth. At the, I was like, damn, like I don't know, it's not like he was gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> At the door, allowing him uh, to have the whole uh, fish hut story once it is confirmed, even if it's not legitimate. Grant pours himself some more alcohol into his mug at nine thirty a.m. before going back on air. Sydney and L.A. are walking back from the kitchen. Sydney sharing her conversation with Constable Rosalind, um, sharing that he's. Uh, he's serious and he's freaked out knowing that something happened this morning on the ice. Okay. So now we're getting like more of these things that we can kind of theory craft for. Right. So it's fascinating. It's a very slow build up too. It really is. And it's so, but I like it. Yeah. Like this, it worked so well in you, this case. You have to be tuned in. Yeah. Like, Cause if you're casually watching no this, <laughs> wow, I'm clever. Um, if you're casually like watching this, um, you're not, you might not pick up on it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and you watched this alone. Yeah. You didn't watch it with Bella. Watched it alone. And he wants them to drop the story thinking that it is probably just a hoax. LA's phone rings. She answers, uh, she answers it and it's Ken handing the phone to Sydney. She takes it, telling him to slow down as they head back to the desk. She asks where he is, writing some information down, telling him to slow down, asking how many. She rips off the sheet, handing it to LA and pointing toward Grant while she's, while she's still on the phone. Sydney tells him to wrap up Potty Pool Corner because, um, because they, uh, they have a big breaking story. L.A. runs into the booth, handing him the note. He finishes up the segment before moving into the breaking news of a large group of people gathering outside the offices of Dr. John Mendez, appearing to be the uh, appearing to be a protest of some kind. Officials describing the crowd as unruly. He continues that Dr. John Mendez ha- uh, was under investigation for writing unnecessary prescriptions. Another jingle as they as they get another live report from Ken, asking him what he can see do you think he started it i don't think so that that did not come to mind okay what makes you think that i don't know like the the unnecessary prescription part like it it feels like maybe he had some type of tie-in with this because he he very cleverly knew what the fuck was going on like kind of quickly yeah but at the same time there was the french um speaking guy who just kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so like uh, that was interesting as well, but it didn't cross my mind. I don't know. It was interesting. It's it interesting. Super interesting. Ken frantically explains that he uh, can see hundreds of people packed in and around the building, thinking it to be odd, explaining that they seem to be cramming themselves inside. His radio starts buzzing as he gasps. Grant asks him what's going on. Ken continues that the side of the office is spilling people. It exploding with people. The 
the way, like you said, this it feels like it's written like a novel, but the way that this is described and we never see it. Yep. Fantastic. I have to agree with you. Absolutely. Because, <laughs> because it's such a unique approach where you are going to be in this radio station the whole time. One, man, do you save on your budget a lot. Two, people's imagination are probably going to be a lot more impactful than what you can show on screen. Yeah. And using these large action words like explode and and things like that and trampled and all those other stuff, like using words like that really kind of has someone like think about the worst possible thing that's happening. Totally. And there is, I think there is more suspense when you can't see it. When you could only hear someone on the other end witnessing it. Yeah. There's there's a little anxiety that's associated with that. Absolutely. He yells that the people are getting trampled and killed down there, screaming and gasping. Grant questions if he sees any police. Ken um, can see a convoy of military vehicles, wondering where they came from. And he can now see helicopters. Sydney more worried about him cussing on the air than uh, what's actually going, going on around him. Grant tells him to get out of there safely, but the road is blocked. Ken continuing that there's definitely faculties of, and people have just died. And, uh, or excuse me not faculties, fatalities, and people have just died, not knowing uh, what just happened. Grant is about to explain something uh, to Ken, but he cuts out. Sydney tells him that they have nothing on this, but he believes he believes they need to get some info on what is clearly happening. She tells him that he is, uh, that he is five kilometers away. Um, he shares the distance on where, the, uh, where this is on the radio. She doesn't want him to say much until they can get this confirmed. He twists his words to sound more vague um, that something has happened in Pontypool that involved a riot. Ellie can't get over the OPP, uh, can't get through it to the OPP as Sydney instructs Grant to uh, go to break. Uh, go to break and recap he cuts the story with a clever sign off as as a group of people come into the studio this group of people came out of nowhere yeah i was <laughs> i was when I first saw, i was like what are you doing yeah i i think i like blinked and saw them and just was like wait what what's happening now? <laughs> seriously though like they caught they came out of nowhere yeah grant comes comes out of the booth asking if uh, if they got Ken back, Sydney answers that they are trying, adding that they uh, still have no calls on the story. And her and L.A. Are, are going to work on the phones to see if they can find something solid to put on air. He wonders what they would, would uh, like for him to do. The group of people dressed as Arabic folk standing um, standing around or excuse me, standing standing there are waiting for him. And I'm just like, yo, y'all got these white people dressed up in like brown face. Oh, I don't think I even noticed. Yeah. Oh, no. One of them, I think, is the writer of the movie, Tony Bruges. Yes. I was like, "Mm, definitely a choice. I mean, 2008, 2009. Yeah. Like, around the time of what's going on around this time. Like, we we got the war over in Afghanistan and so on and so forth. And, like, like, people definitely were very more harsh (laughs) with their jokes and choices. Yikes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they had like blue I think eyes I, and everything. I think I wasn't wearing my glasses when I was watching Maybe. this. Because like, yeah, it definitely, definitely rubbed me the wrong way for sure. Um, he uh, He's not stoked about that. She tells him uh, not to be a problem right now since they have to, since they have the hook. He doesn't, he doesn't want her to uh, cut it right now. She just needs him to do his job interviewing them and allowing them to sing a song. 
All right, fair enough. He argues that their audience isn't expecting them to hear this right now. She reiterates that they will dig up a story about this to put on the air, sarcastically thanking him. He, uh, he says, fuck it, and allows the interview. The group of white folk in brownface are singing their tune while Grant's phone is ringing. He opens it, exposing a call from Rick Ryan, um, answering it, telling him to listen to the folk singing, sharing the name of, of Lawrence of Arabia. Meanwhile, Sydney and L.A. are searching for information about what's going on, knowing that something happened. Wanting LA to find her, find her someone that she can put on the air. She has Eileen Freethy um, online too, and she's hysterically, she's hysterical, but seems to be in the middle of things. Sydney agrees to allow her on the hook um, if she can calm her down and and see what she's got. She doesn't understand why there there isn't any information on what Ken experienced. You know, this movie also reminds me of this uh, creepy pasta as well. Oh man, those are the days. Man, good days, man, good days. Uh, but like, there was a creepy pasta that I I can't remember the name of, but this the story kind of went along the realms of uh, all these people came back from the dead, but they all went to their home, and it was this mom who called the cops, and she was like talking to this dispatcher, and it was just like my son's back, my son's back. Oh my god, and she, and. Like the dispatcher's like, okay, like what's wrong with that? She's like, he died in a fire last year and he's back. Oh, I I feel like I know this yeah. one. And like you and you hear the kid like, um, or the kid in the background's like, he's like, mommy, like where are you? Are you playing hide and oh, seek and all this other man. shit? Uh, yeah, it's a really creepy story. But this story kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, with like everyone calling in and stuff like that. Real quick, very quickly, what's your favorite creepy pasta? Go. <laughs> Favorite creepypasta is a creepypasta called, I got two, The Swing, okay, which is one of my favorites of all time, um, and Lightning, which is my second favorite. Uh, I don't think I'm familiar with them. Okay, The Swing, real quick. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, now I want to talk about it. Uh, but real quick, The Swing is about this guy who gets his gets uh, a new house, um, and he's, he's kind of young, but, and it's in a small neighborhood. And there's this little kid who's his neighbor who just swings on this swing all day long. Okay. And uh, his other neighbor is just like, oh, you know, not making much of it. And he tells him like, hey, yeah, he does this. He's an odd kid. And um, they see his mom come out and she's like a feeble woman who has bruises and stuff on her. And she hands him pills and the kid just like, uh, like scarfs them down. And like he, because he has a reaction or something that makes them come out. Um, and anyway, long story short, the guy has a party and he's drunk the next day and he receives the kids' pills um, in the mail. Oh. And he's like, oh shit, I should drop these off. But he's so hungover that he's like, yeah, I'll do it later. Like, I'm sure he, like, he oh, just no. took some. Like, I'm, he, I'm sure he's fine. Yeah. The kid turns into a fucking monster. Oh. And he comes over to his house. Oh, looking for his pills? Looking for his pills. Oh, no. Um, And, like, he ate his mom or oh, something. Oh, my God. It's it's brutal. And it's so great. Um, And the first time, I actually didn't read this one. I heard this one on, uh, uh, I, think there, I think it was called Chilling Tales at night or something like that. Sounds familiar. Yeah, it was a YouTube thing. Yeah, and I was like, this was was pretty great. Um, And then Lightning is a really short one where it's about this guy whose son 
uh, they see lightning together or whatever. And then he comes back and tells his son, he was, or his, he, a few days later, a few weeks later, whatever, his son tells him, he's like, dad, I saw lightning again outside my window. And he was like, Whoa, that's, that's strange. Like it's not, it's not raining. Like there was no signs of lightning. Um, and then, uh, they hear on the, on the news that there was a pedophile taking pictures of kids. Oh no! And then, um, oh my god, that made me sick to my stomach. I know, right? And then he comes up to his dad while he's watching the news report, and he was like, "I saw, I saw the lightning again." Oh, he was like, "Oh, did you no. see it outside the window?" Um, he was like trying to keep calm. He's like, "No, I saw it in my closet this time." Oh god! Oh, yeah. my and that's god. how the story ends. And I was just like, "Lightning, yeah." Oh god, yeah. that's it's a terrifying. Story. Real quick, you want to hear mine? Yes, mine's a, <laughs> mine's a very popular one. Uh. So let me know if you know it or not. Ben Ben drowned. Oh yeah, that's a very popular yeah, one. But yeah, man, yeah. The, so the Zelda one. Yeah, with the the haunted Majora's Mask cartridge, right? Yeah, that one hit home so much for me because growing up, like I didn't get my N sixty four games or my games in general from like yeah. stores. I got them from the flea market in uh, San Jose. Yeah, and a lot of times they would be like. They're used games. This is before used games was a thing. Yeah. Uh, and like they'd be ripped up or have like kids' names written on them and stuff. And so scary. Yeah, <laughs> like that, it's so creepy. And that was like my discovery of Creepypasta too was Ben Drown. So yeah. um, I was like, shout out to Creepypasta. Yeah, man. man. I thought it was real. I, I, I don't blame you. Yeah. I don't blame you. I still listen to some every now and then. Like I like the No Sleep podcast and Creepy. Yeah. Um, our sister podcast over at Bloody Disgusting. But shouts the fuck out, man. Creepy pastas. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> back to our regular schedule programming. Grant continues making fun of the group to Rick as uh, Sydney shares that they are trying to trying for witnesses, having someone for him to, uh, when they are done. He continues making fun of them as they continue to sing, ending their song with a, with uh, some of the most racist shit I've ever seen. He hangs up his phone with a quick fuck you, Rick, sharing the names of the group and their song. The little girl, Maureen, mentions that she can't, that she can't remember how it ends. He questions her. She answers um, that it just keeps starting over and over and it's not called the Lawrence in the table. She repeats pra over and over. The studio all freaked out until she stops. He goes back into the uh, he goes back to the radio damn so the fact that like it already hit yeah uh it's still i still don't understand how it travels to person to person i think it's hearing and saying a particular word that you recognize i guess yeah because i think that's what you know i think that's exactly what it is because she was saying pra over and over and over again and everyone thought she was just like what the like is going on but when a word is mentioned that they understand i guess um is when it latches on to to them i don't know you mean like they have that oh i get it moment like that right yeah like oh i'm thinking of a word like on the tip of my and it's like oh introverted and then my word becomes introverted because i had this moment of realization that's the word i was looking for yeah maybe I guess. Or like okay. understanding what the word means. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it, I, I, I guess I don't understand. Um, <laughs> has some information from Stephen Van Denzen, who's uh, the names in this movie, who's uh, um, at Mendez's office uh, talking excitedly about a mob or parade. Sydney asks if she has any word from Ken, but nothing. She's going to keep trying Rosalind, wanting LA to keep talking to Steve. They cut to commercial. The group of singers leaving out of the studio. Grant commenting about something weird going on with Maureen. 
Sydney starts congratulating him, ignoring that, uh, ignoring what he's saying. He asked if she, um, if she hurt her, but she continues apologizing about him not being able to stick with the story, needing him to buy buy them some time. She gives him some information from ten um, eyewitnesses in town going live with Steve. He believes this to be great. Quote, fuck the wire if we got eyes, end quote. They throw him back um, on the air LA back at the desk, Sydney wondering if she has a word from Ken, but still nothing. Grant welcomes their listeners back at going back to the, uh, to the news about uh, the possible riots at John Mendez's office. Going live to Steve, they have him uh, on the line. He's frantic, yelling for people to get out. They drop him. Uh, Grant blaming it on them losing signal uh, of him. Um, bringing up another witness who saw a mob in town heading toward the office. Sydney is on the phone, trying to relay the message back to Grant, but she loses the witness um, on the line. He continues going, stuttering over his words with no guidance from Sydney. She be- uh, she believes people are f- are um, fucking with them, and but uh, but he continues spreading the fact that some something is possibly going on over there. Bringing up Ken, sharing it. First, she shares that they um, that they can't get Ken back on the line, thinking this to be completely fucked, not knowing what's going on. They receive multiple calls. L.A. not being uh, being able to understand the person on the line, asking them to slow down. Sydney picking up her line as well, while Grant continues steering the show. Now, ten oh five, he can he comments that they uh, that they do not have the official version of these events, but it is being reported that seventy five people are dead what the fuck in a small town in too. a small town yeah it's, it's interesting though like that he doesn't have like an official version but yet he's getting these reports yeah that is interesting like i assume it's from the eyewitnesses and they're probably just like one two three four like but like <laughs> in 75 yeah uh, that's a lot that's a lot that's a lot um i did kind of want to see like what they did though like what do you mean like when they were victims like i wanted to i kind of wanted to see like what happened when you get when you got caught yeah like we kind of see it with um uh, a moment Sydney, later yeah but like she had like two like little bite marks on her so <laughs> it's like like do they bite you do they eat you like what, what is it like what's the what's the point here yeah because it, it just from what we hear it sounds like it just biting limbs off almost or like yeah, eating. Yeah, it sounded like pure fucking chaos and yeah. I expected Sydney's arm to be ripped off and like used as a weapon against her. Like I, like it just... Yeah, because that moment where Sydney gets attacked, it's uh, it's very, a little underwhelming. Yeah, I, yep. Yeah. Like, it's like, all right, do it. Yeah. Please. Like, like <laughs> you, you, we hear this game that was all talked here and like granted budget for sure is probably yeah. the factor here but like all this game that was being talked about the crazy shit that they're able to do and we just get Maureen just literally jumped on and that's it. And then they start beating the shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's very comedic too how it was cut. <laughs> it was weird. It was. Anyway, Sydney is on the phone with someone that possibly sounds reliable and honest uh, relaying it back to Grant that CBC and CFRB um, want to speak with him. He switches the line to Constable Rosalind uh, asking him what's uh, what's happening out there. Rosalind explains that at 7 a.m. his officers answered a 911 call to the Golden Dawn facility, discovering a large pool of people occupying the building, seeming like they were, they were trying to get an elderly woman into an elderly woman's room. 
who has since died. Um, Sydney shares that that these people are apparently chanting something, calling it creepy, but not knowing what they are, what they are chanting. Grant asks Rosalind uh, what they are saying. He just shares that they are taking a message from our sponsors. And we're back. He actually shares that they're repeating things and claiming that this old woman was senile, babbling about Hitler and hurricanes. Well, shit. Hitler and hurricanes or Hitler in hurricanes? (laughs) (laughs) Sydney tells him to get out of the conversation because of crazy talk. Grant immediately leaves out out of it, thanking Rosalind for his time, switching gears to... (laughs) Switching gears to hearing about a herd of people near the edge of the forest near Edenville. <laughs> what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, this movie got to me. Asking Sydney where Edenville is, she shares that it's northwest. He relays that back, continuing that the couple and, and their two children have been trapped in the car under a mountain of people. Th- and this is the part where I think I'm kind of focused on, like, how serious it got. Because, like, Grant's whole Demeter changes like he's not trying to be this persona at this point he's genuinely just like yo what's going on and that's what i mentioned earlier we needed him to be like that to see the shift yes yeah absolutely she mentions that she's being told by rachel jones that people are there are excuse me people are imitating windshield wipers making the sound of them as well L.A. answers the phone and places them on a hold as Grant continues the breaking news, comparing the group of people to uh, to bugs since the police shouldn't see the, see through the car for over an hour. She tells Sydney that sh- uh, she has BBC World on the line. She's surprised. He shares that they have countless witness uh, countless witnesses witness accounts. Wait, excuse me. He shares that they have countless witness accounts, but no official statement. Sydney calls out to him that she uh, has Nigel healing from the BBC for him. They go live on both airwaves. Nigel introduces Grant, asking if he's there. He's silent until Sydney whispers out to him. He promptly greets Nigel. Nigel asking if he tr- if he's true if it's true that Can- Canadian soldiers for- are um, cornering. Are stopping people from leaving or entering. Sydney shares that uh, she hasn't heard anything about this and not sure if he knows uh, what is going. What is not sure what he knows what he's actually talking about. Um, it's crazy because like all of this now in today's age with today's technology, like we would have probably just went on Twitter and be like, well, "Is this happening here?" Like, yeah, like, like the whole concept of like when an earthquake happens. Everyone goes on Twitter to see, like, did Are I just other people experience an earthquake yeah. instead of just going to the USGS? <laughs> oh, that's where I could go? Yes. Just go to the USGS. Go to the USGS. It will tell you. Uh, USGS. That's it. Yep. Go to the USGS, and it will literally tell you the most recent earthquakes, like, to the T. <laughs> Thank you, because I always just Google, did I just feel an earthquake? <laughs> Google just answers back, yes. <laughs> Nigel asks a, fo- a follow-up question if there has anything to do with Canada's history of separatists and, ter- and terrorist groups. Grant clears his throat, claiming that none of that is true, believing that the military may be involved, but the police force is definitely involved. But there's nothing organized or political, knowing that it isn't a terrorist or, separat- or separatist. Uh, Nigel shares that uh, this looks like an insurgent, explaining that there's large groups of people who are involved. Since it is organized or political, he asked Grant to help him exp- help him explain to their viewers what they're actually reporting on. Sydney chuckles that he's good. Um, Grant Grant tells him that 
that they don't know what's going on since nothing official has been released. That's enough for Nigel. Repeating and twisting what Grant said to, to their viewers, Ellie gets Ken all, um, on the line. Grant switches things over to Ken. Ken is crying, asking, uh, asking him to send someone, and he's not safe where he is. Grant asks where he is. Where he, uh, Grant asks where he is, uh, or where is he? Um, Sydney telling him not to say where, uh, where he is just in case something happens. I mean, that's kind of true in some ways. Like, I could see her being like, yo, like, don't blow us cover or whatever. Kind of thing, like, if someone's listening or some shit. Yeah, like, totally. Because they have no idea what's Especially going on Especially when all this crazy stuff is happening. Right, yeah. Did you find the USGS? Yeah, I did. And then I was like, I, then I was like, damn, Japan's getting hit by a lot of earthquakes right now. I remember seeing they something about that. are, yeah. I think it was like a seven There's earlier. like four or five, like, 7.8s. That's crazy. Yeah. God. Uh, and like save. Yeah. Like, like daily. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. That's horrible. So earthquakes are scary. But I think I would much rather live where there's a place where there earthquakes versus like hurricanes and tornadoes and shit. Well, the thing about Japan is when they get hit by earthquakes, it's in it's the ocean. Hard, yeah. And then it causes tsunamis. tsunamis. Yeah. That's it's so scary. Super scary. Goddamn. Be safe, Japan. Be safe. Ken shares his location at a large grain silo, <clears throat> uh, running. The, uh, excuse me, running there from the entranceway from a national park. He tells him to call the police, but Sydney tells him um, that there's no there, there's no point in reaching them. Grant asks him what happened. Ken sobs that he's he's seen things that's going to ruin his life and that he's scared. All right, well, then tell me what happened. <laughs> he tries calming uh, Ken down, telling him to stay there, but he continues talking about some uh, Some are cannibals, some are naked and like dogs. Commenting um, commenting about the look in their eyes, it being uh, a startled, wild look. Sydney sighs, wanting Grant to move it along. Grant is about to speak about Ken... T- excuse me, Grant is about to speak, but Ken tells him or cuts him off that he doesn't understand and he's looking through a little door and that he can see something. He yells for them to look out and and that they are pulling two people out of a van, yelling that they are that they are people, but they are crazy, biting them, carrying them onto the ground in their mouths. See, I wanted to see that shit. Yeah. Like, it's just all this talk. Of what's going on. But that's what makes this movie unique. Right. It's, it's very true. But like when it happens to uh, Sydney, it's just like, well, that didn't happen at all. I, yeah. I think they shouldn't have had that moment. Have. Yeah. Not all. Yeah. They, they shouldn't have had it or they should have at least had it to where maybe Grant, like, I don't know, hits her in the face before it got to that point or something. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Like it yeah. was, it was interesting. It's just that one moment that kind of takes it, makes the movie take a huge step back for me. But I think the fact that we don't see anything is probably why critics really like this movie. Yeah, I agree. The radio staff are completely stunned as Ken continues trying to explain the scene. One having their arm and leg inside another person. Sydney shout like this shit sounds crazy. Like, it just sounds fucking yeah. insane. Zinni shouts for him to stop this now. Ken screams, then whispers that, um, that someone heard him and is coming toward him. They start running. He grunts as the audio is drowned with thuds and clattering. Zinni tells Ken to get out of there. Grant back on the radio, asking if he's injured. With heavy breaths, Ken tells him to hold on, then shares that he's just lying there in the dark, explaining that Mary Galt's boy, Jesse, was the one that crashed through the through the wall. Sydney confirming that, um, that to be him. Ken continues that 
that Jesse didn't have his hands. Um, Sydney uh, wants him to stop this now, but Grant asks, what's he doing now? She tells him not to, not on air, not wanting to listen to someone getting killed. I mean, that's fucking fair. Ken tells him that uh, Jesse is looking at him, but he doesn't think he, can, he can't move, um, possibly because uh, some bro- bones are broken. But... He's uh, but he can see his eyes. He tells him he tells them to hold on. Grant instructing him to not go near him. Ken shares that he's whispering something, wanting to get closer, uh, to where to where to what he's saying, or to understand what he's saying. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Grant. But he, oh, excuse me. Uh, Grant instructs him again to not do that. The studio receives interference uh, from a man speaking French. LA types his message to the computer, the interference cutting back out. Whoa. That's when you know shit is getting scary and shit is hitting the fan. When you just have radio signals being uh, intercepted and you're just, especially in different languages, man, that's like, that's some intense shit. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> because like it, it it's so fascinating to it, it it's just fascinating to just see this happen like where it's just like oh fuck like the different languages aspect and things like that just super super interesting it made me more curious, yeah. right? Grant calls for Ken asking if they still have him. Sydney answers that they lost him and he relays that to his audience, adding that adding that they are working on to translate the message that they just received on, on the air. LA translating, quote, avoid family members, talk only to babies, end quote. What? Calling it crazy shit. She gets the translation, um, grand uh, commenting that they uh that they don't have an idea on the source and can possibly be a hoax. He reads, quote, for your safety. Please avoid contact with family members and restrain from the following all terms of endearment, such as honey or sweetheart, end quote. Meanwhile, Sydney gets a call from Bob as Grant continues the translation, quote, when you talk with young children in, in rhetorical discourse for uh, greater safety, please avoid the English language. Please do not translate this message, end quote. Oh, fuck. Dude, this is, this is great. Yeah. This is really top tier scary shit. Yeah, like I was, I was genuinely like, I'm skirts. You know what I'm saying? Like, like all I speak is English. I mean that (laughs) that moment where you read off, don't translate this message. It's just like I would be terrified. Fuck. Yeah. Like yeah. Like that's very intentional, right? So it's like yes. And if you were to find yourself translating it. It's you know, just like that that feeling of impending doom. Exactly. You would think you would lead off with that, but right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> seriously, like, like actually, like like motherfuckers. <laughs> like, the news the the news theme song plays. He asks what's going on. Sydney tells him that uh, it uh, it was Bob Roseland instructing them to stay inside and Pontypool's under quarantine. This is great. This really brings the fear aspect right because like now the whole town is quarantined nothing scares people like a quarantine seriously and we come to learn that from yeah. our own experience right because like it, it the way that you expect like in this moment like all i'm thinking when that is announced is just like fuck how are they going to get home? Like, what's the food situation? Like, like I'm thinking about all these things of like, how long do they have to stay here? Like, like all this stuff is like popping in my head because of our experience. Totally. Which is why this month is two years in this shit. <laughs> Man. 
<sighs> Kid comes back on air asking if they got a piece of the audio that he sent from his phone. Grant shouts that he didn't get it. Ken, um, go, Ken's going to try again, telling him to, to listen. Sharing that they are about to hear... Uh, sharing that what, what they're about to hear is coming from Jesse who's lying there in the dark with his body broken to pieces able to see his wrists pointing, pointing up into his sides uh, I want to know what happened I'm so curious like my god like how like what did what how does bones all break and shit like what did you do Ken yeah Sydney like, like, uh, yells for Grant to not allow this on air wondering what they're doing Ken tells them to listen Jesse whimpers for his mother to help him Ken comes back asking if they heard that Grant is total is in total shock his eyes watering from the experience such a great reveal here yeah this is great I love that we see Grant really becoming scared but also yes. worried. Even though, like, now we know that he doesn't really know these people, right? Right, yeah. Like, at this point, like, w- like these all seem like it's a small town. Like, everyone yeah. knows everyone kind of thing. When Grant is just like, I don't know any of these people, and he's scared. Yeah, and we get that through Sydney's character where she will mention, oh, this person used to be my ex-brother-in-law or, right. you know, so yeah. on. So and and even we get that with Ken later yeah. when she cries for Ken, wondering how Jesse is doing. Um, how Jesse is doing that? Explaining that it sounds like a child is stuck inside of his body. Grant shockingly asks if this is actually happening. Sydney bringing him back, telling him easy. He tries uh, snapping out of it, signing Ken off. A horn honking through the headphones. He says it again. A man speaking through his headphones, commenting about him on the radio. He tries ending the segment, but the voice calls out to him. He calls out to the voice, still in a state of shock of what what he just experienced, looking underneath his desk at something as Jesse whimpers um, and plays through his head. Uh, excuse me. Uh, he's looking under underneath his desk for something as Jesse whimpers, playing through his headset. Sydney uncovers the BBC. Um, uncovers that BBC is going wide with the Mendez story and that Nigel just mentioned Honey, the missing cat. Grant looks back up saying what? If she reiterates noticing something is uh, up with him. Having LA repl- uh, replay Grant's school dis- uh, closure announcement, she goes inside the booth. He continues looking around the desk asking her if she's finding this funny she doesn't think it's a joke he asks about the cat she is about to share that what nigel said he starts yelling at her la watching their muffled yells from outside the booth sydney shouts for him not to yell at her he apologizes telling her that he's having trouble uh believing this she understands he wonders if she's uh pulling his leg but she believes that there's uh, a pretty big number of dead people he gets up, wanting to get out of there, having a hard time believing this and needing to get out of there. She, I don't, like, I, it's just like, at this point, I'm just like, yeah, quit. <laughs> like, you know, I'm yeah, so I, I thought the same thing where there is this emphasis on, and it's very American, even though they're in Canada, this emphasis of they need to continue working where I'm like, why? Just stop. Just like, yeah, figure it out. Yeah, you don't need to continue working. Fuck exactly. this radio station. Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm out, bro. She wants him back. Uh, she wants him to sit back down, needing him to be in this chair. LA calls out, commenting that they are on dead air. Sydney instructs her to go on a pre-tape and play anything. Grant leaves out of the booth. She asks where she, where is he going? LA puts in a pre-tape of Grant talking about Mrs. French's cat being missing. 
This is great. Yeah. This is all great. The tension here is fantastic. Grant is walking toward the door, Sydney pestering him about being back in his chair. He fa- he feels the need to go outside. She reminds she reminds him that she can't have dead air. He I would have been like, and I'm reminding you that I'm not about to work here anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> he wonders if this uh, has something to do with him. She doesn't understand. He doesn't understand why they're carrying dead cat posters, thinking he's going crazy, needing to know... Um, um, that there's more happening to everyone than just him. She tells him to come on. He yells that she's uh, fucking with his head, then points out uh, points at L.A. for her, for her uh, not to f- not to fuck with him too. Okay, this portion here, this is where a lot of the words don't make sense. Yes, and I feel like at this point in time, all intentional. You think so? I do. I do. And I think the main reason why is because of the fact that like we have this sense of um, dialogue, if you will, that just seems to be very one sided because it just it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like the the, the, this whole thing of what he's saying where it's just like uh, he doesn't understand why they're carrying dead cat posters thinking he's going crazy. Like when he says they're just like, what? Yeah, I was very confused during yeah. this, these segments here. It's confusing, and I think that's all intentional because I think we're not supposed to understand what they're saying. Interesting. Super interesting. He leaves out of the studio, heading upstairs. They run after him, telling him that it's dangerous. He feels the need to t- uh, to take a look outside to see what's going on. They try they try to reason with him, a block um, and block his path. He opens the door. Sydney yelling for him to not walk out on her, and she needs him. She gives up, yelling yelling for him to fall apart. The wind is howling and pushing snow into their face. Grant commenting that there is nothing, just a cold day. La sees something pulling, and it's like off screen, right? Yeah. Uh, she sees something pulling him back inside. Multiple people are yelling a bunch of things um a bunch of things at them. He wonders what the what that is. She comments that they have an enemy as the poll continue as the people continue yelling that what Sydney told Grant. She doesn't understand, knowing that that those are her words, commenting that she's scared. He tries to calm her down, asking um LA if they uh, have a first aid kit. Yeah, I would be like, exactly. This is what I'm scared of. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you finally are here with me. Yeah. Like, and I'm not alone anymore. She goes to get it. He asks Sydney uh, where her kids are. She comments that they're with their dad in the city. Um, he believe, and I wonder what the city is for Canada, Ontario. Maybe? I was gonna say Toronto. That. I was gonna say that too. You know, I don't know. Quebec. I was not gonna say that. British Columbia. Yeah, you've lost me. All right. See. I, geography <laughs> anyway he uh, believes that they're sa- that they're safe since they're 100 kilometers away she agrees he wants to go back on the radio asking her uh what's up first she prompts she prompts him with obits i don't know what the fuck obits are i don't either but it's up next he has nothing taped she suggests uh for him to go live cuts a video recording of gwendolyn parker and her husband staring in um into the camera this was an interesting segment. Here. Yeah, it was real interesting. So I don't know if this is, is it like this, these people just passed? I think, I think, oh, I think that's what obits are. Obituaries. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cause I remember catching that. 
I yeah. had the same realization when I was watching the movie. I'm like, oh, obituaries, yeah. obits. Okay, cool. Slang. <laughs> like we're short radio obituary. slang. Radio um, slang. But I was wondering, like, with the announcement that's the obituaries that are just about to happen, are these all people that just died this morning? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's hard to tell, but the videos of them and their like yeah. somber ass state is like not helping. And it's just a bunch of it's like a kill chain. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah it is. It literally is. It's, uh, Grant shares that she was killed by her husband Stanley. He was killed by her by family members Fiona and Michael, who then died at each other's hands at twelve and seventeen years old. He continues a long list of town people who've also died by each other. It has to be like after they've, I guess, changed and started biting. Maybe. How's a 12 year old going to take out like a person in their 80s? I don't know. It's it seems easy when we get it's this definitely other doable. Ch- ch- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's doable. Um, while he continues on the air, Sydney is uh, being patched up by um, L.A. She asked Sydney if she. Oh, I love this fucking part. This is my favorite scene right here. Um, she asked Sydney if she listens to this, but she's trying not to. Um, she remembers that she left her cell phone in the sound booth, wanting to speak with her kids. But when her baby daddy has them, uh, he turns the cell phone off and doesn't pick up. Ellie calls him a jerk. Sydney asking if anything this crazy has happened to her while she was stationed overseas. She tells her no, believing that uh, believing the situation was brought back in her head. Sydney chuckles, asking. Um, Sydney chuckles, asking her what she's what she means. Ellie doesn't know, wanting to go see if Grant is missing. What? Yeah, I was very confused when she said that. Same, and so was so was uh, Sydney. She was like, "What? Yeah, what are you talking about? He's in the booth." Um, she repeats the word until she catches herself thinking that Grant is missing and he's not there. Sydney reminds reminds her that he's in the sound booth, referring to her as Honey. The uh, tea kettle screams as Ellie gets up, needing to go. Needing to go, um, she walks down the hall, removing the screaming kettle. Um, a high pitched long wail down the hall. She peeks around the corner. The wail coming from Ellie with her head tilted. Very creepy. This is. Wow. Yeah. I, at first, I didn't know it was her that was emanating the sound because it was so, like, precise. Yes. And it, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. My eyes are kind of watering because, like, this shit hit. Yeah. I was like, this was, like, really good and really creepy and, like, damn. Like, I, I really like this scene. Like, this was my favorite scene in this whole movie. Also, there's a moment prior where she's like, I think I brought this in my head. Yes. It's like, wait, girl, what? Like, yeah. Were you, you sick and you came to work? Yeah, for <laughs> real. <laughs> for real. <laughs> a man climbs through the open window. I would I would have fucked him up. Dude, yeah, this is like, like you know this is not happening. This right doctor now. seems like a joke, like he's giggling while he's crawling around the table. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just crawling into windows. Like what the fuck, dude? Like it's just one of those things where it's just like if you have the balls to try to break into my house, you better be about that fucking action because I'm about <laughs> it. Like like it is going down. Yeah. Uh, he climbs through the window. Sydney calls out to the man who mentions that he's John Mendez. Like it's me. I'm John Mendez. I'm the guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, John Mendez, leave because people are trying to kill you. 
uh, sharing that uh, he's been literally crawling on his hands and knees. He notices L.A. wailing, telling Sydney uh, to not say anything. That would have been my moment if I was John Mendez in this moment. I would have been like, got it. So I crawled through the wrong fucking place. Like, (laughs) Well, it all seems like just a game to him. That's true. That's why I think he fucking started this. You think so? Like, I genuinely think he started this because for him, he seems so, like, it's something, I would say nonchalant, but I would say, like, he he just seems so um, aware. Yeah, he seems like he's, he's researching. Right. Like, like for him, this is just like adding it to his utility belt of just like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Like, she's wailing. She's copying a tea kettle. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And like when he says like, because uh, he tells her, um, uh, where is it? God damn it. I'm, I'm, yes. Uh, he's tell, he tells Sydney to not say anything. And it feels like he tells her this so she doesn't pick up another word. Yeah, because when I heard him really be aware, when I saw him be very aware of the situation, I figured like the outbreak started at his office, what it seems like that we heard earlier, right? Right. So he's been observing as he's been crawling and giggling through town. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's interesting. She explains, oh, uh, uh, yeah, she explains that she just started doing this. He uses his credentials for a reason for uh, for a reason for them to get the hell out of there. She approaches LA asking if she's okay. He stops her, telling her that they need to keep moving and that she'll follow their voices. He points at the sound booth, calling it a lifeboat. LA snaps out of it, saying Mr. Mendez is missing, um, missing Mazzy. She covers her mouth uh, from her response. Mendez and Sydney are walking towards the booth, wanting to get a little bit of lead time she asks what's going what's wrong with la he rushes and he rushes her into the booth telling her not to worry because la doesn't have a purpose yet what this is the interesting shit she start she's she startles grant commenting uh that uh, it is mendez in the booth as well they shake each other's hand for a quick introduction grant mentioning that there's um that he's the building that exploded sydney knows that he he has quite the story to tell asking him to have have a seat he agrees and sits down la comes down by the booth telling them to wait speaking more nonsense about not being missing anymore grant asks what's going on as he try as he tries to get inside the booth mendez explains that she's that she's sick and she doesn't know it yet but she's hunting them she speaks more nonsense rattling the door handle trying to get inside sydney doesn't want to want to leave leave her out there wanting to um, talk to her commanding grant to turn the sound on she acted like she was leaving her outside in the cold yeah i know i i don't like how sydney reacts to things yeah especially in this situation it's it's aggravating because it it's not thought out yeah no it's not yeah. like it, it and it's, it's just it's so interesting where it's just like i don't want to leave her out there it's like what the fuck are you talking about she's she just was, she was there the whole time yeah like she was always out you there. switched rooms right yeah like like what are you talking about mendez stops them instructing them to leave the sound in, uh, in there with them possibly losing track uh, where they are if they can't hear them. She uh, stops pulling on the door handle, walking away. Grant is back on the radio, calling themselves prisoners who are scared, sharing that they are that they have Mendez with them. 
reminding them that the mob destroying his practice, trying to interview Mendez on on any insights that he could possibly provide. L.A. starts ramming her head into the window of the booth. Mendez takes some pills, chuckling that she's rooting that she's rooting her voices, um, and this will grow vicious. This is cool, and it's this is great. It's I like how it's done in an aggressive way of being unaware that the glass is there. Yeah, because normally you'll get the the slow pace, like put your face up against to the glass, which we see a little bit later in this movie. But she's straight up just like pouncing, but almost yeah. like an animal, a feral a feral animal that doesn't realize the glass is there. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's great, and I I love when things kind of shift, and she's like bleeding from the mouth and shit. Like it's it it gets intense. Yeah, like, it really does real quickly. Grant mentions that Ellie has experienced some dangerous seizures. I'm like, seizures? Oh, again, I was confused. Yeah. Uh, Mendez uh, shares that he's seen this. Explain. He's like, I've seen this before. It's like, <laughs> you know, please enlighten us. Explaining that she doesn't have a victim yet. So she, he, uh, so she doesn't know. Um, so he doesn't know how it will end. Continuing that a victim suicides, but a victim needs a victim to, uh, to uh, suicide into, knowing that it's upsetting them. What? Uh, bro like what are you talking about yeah like that's why i think at this point everyone's infected i it it's an interesting take and i I don't think you're far off at all yeah like it feels like everyone's infected at this point yeah and like i honestly i was cause i was watching throughout this whole movie i'm like why am i so confused at certain moments like i was straight up like what am I not getting? Yeah, and I think that's just it. I think there. I think one we're not supposed to understand. Like I think it is supposed to be like a very, um, uh, I don't know, like a, a a very just off the cuff conversationalist type of thing. Yeah. Um, that just isn't supposed to make sense. But I also think that they're they're infected. Yeah. I think everyone's infected because it's just like. It, you're, you're, I don't know. It's interesting. Anyway, Sydney's phone rings. She answers the phone and it is Ken telling him uh, that they are going live. She hands the uh, the phone to Grant, telling him that it's Ken. Um, he thanks Mendez um, briefly, introducing Ken out being outside in, in uh, a grain silo in Pontypool. Ken shares that he's okay, but the person in there with him uh, has died. Meanwhile, LA is looking for something to possibly bleed the sound through. Grant wonders if, if Ken has moved. He hasn't, explaining that he can hear a crowd passing by mendez wondering if he can hear what they're saying he shares that they were talking about u-boats but uh it was more like chanting look out for u-boats hmm. uh, grant asked if they were all saying this they were and they were ken calling it uh, a symbol of of the disorder this was interesting when mendez corrects him asking for clarification believing he means symptom Ken is about to keep uh, keep going, but he stops that uh, that he has a problem. Grant wondering if he needs to uh, get some place place safer, and I think this is why I believe they're infected because of the wording that he chose, where he says symbol of the disorder, and um, Mendez understands what he means right away, where he means symptom. I think you might be right. So it's interesting. He tells Grant that's not it, telling him that uh, it is going to sound weird, asking if uh, if he has a sample. Grant asks uh, a sample of what? Uh, Ken asks for just a sample 
a sample kind of sample, a simple kind of sample. He his conversation uh, starts becoming more and more gibberish while asking for a sample. He asks Ken if he if he can think. Mendez instructing him to stick to simple questions. Ken re- repeats the word simple. Mendez commenting that he's gone and he's uh, just a crude radio signal. Sydney somberly finds uh finds it or excuse me yeah Sydney uh, somberly finds it time to say goodbye to Ken Grant bids him a sad farewell before closing the the phone Mendez characterizes the that Ken's gone somewhere Grant apologizes to Sydney believing that he was her a friend of hers she cries that he wasn't a friend but a pedophile okay yeah <laughs> i was like what yeah uh, explaining that he wasn't actually a pedophile. What? They just didn't allow their kids to go near him. What? Anyway, she continues sobbing that she's known him for 17 years, realizing her obituary is shit. What? <laughs> what the fuck? This is weird. Dude. Mendez notices something with, uh, that LA is doing. Grant tells the audience that they're still there and LA has joined them again, her mouth dripping with blood, mouthing something out from the outside. Sydney whispers for her to stop. Mendez wanting to make sure that they can that she can't hear them. Grant confirms that she cannot, but wonders if she can if she can read lips. Mendez believes this to be a good question, finding it interest interesting. Grant is about to f- remind his listeners about something, but Mendez finds the situation to be viral but not of blood or from the inside of their bodies, but in their words. Not all, but some. Knowing that some words are infected, spreading what the contaminated word is, spo- uh, is spoken, he excitedly exclaims that they are witnessing the emergence of the new arrangement of life, their language being being its host. It's springing out a, per- a perception, theorizing that it is... Fi- uh, it found its way through language and it can leap in, into reality itself, changing everything, possibly, possibly boundless, calling it a god bug. Grant doesn't believe in any of that. Mendez assuring him that there's a monster loose that is bouncing fr- uh, from their language, frantically trying to keep the host alive. Uh, gr- <sighs> what if Grant is the host? Because he's the actual literal host. What if he started? Oh, damn. And he's uh, he's an outsider, right? He's right. not from this small town. Exactly. And he is on the radio just talking. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That'd be I very wonder. interesting. I wonder. Grant wonders if the transmission is making things worse. Mendez doesn't believe it makes contact th- uh, through their eardrums. But when they hear and understand the word what explaining that this uh explaining that it is when the word is understood the virus takes hold copying itself um in their understanding grant wonders if they should even be talking about this sydney confused on what they're even talking about girl same (laughs) he wonders if they should even talk be talking at all mendez answers that they probably shouldn't since it's since it's risky um thinking that they should stop grant claims the people need to know and they need to continue um sharing sharing this with everyone he comments that it is grant's call calling calling or hoping that what he's getting what he's getting out or what he's getting out there isn't going to destroy his world his world he specifically says Mm um cut to cut to industry shouting from out from upstairs the mob of people breaking through the windows inside the booth grant is covering his face humming to himself mendez mocks that everyone can hear him breathing and that um it is their top story excuse me 
Sydney, um, Sydney shit or, uh, hold on. Yeah, Sydney instructs Grant to to go to Muzak and key in fourteen. I, mean, I was like, that's a weird, interesting way of saying music. But Muzak <laughs> is elevator music. Is it really? Yeah. I had to look it up because I was like, I don't know what Muzak is. Like, is that like I thought they were just saying it weird. Yeah, I always thought it was just like a. I thought it used to be something, and then it's just a way people started saying music differently. Yeah, like it. It it, it was interesting because like I, I had to look it up. And I'm gonna look it up again, and yeah, it's just it's literally just elevator music. Elevator music, also known as Muzak. Interesting. Yeah. Super weird. I'm like, huh? Okay. Stick around for the post show for that, I guess. <laughs> uh, her her cell phone vibrates. Grant hands it to her. She answers it. He warns everyone about L.A. Um, coming in to ram the glass. It still startles me. Yeah, like, I mean, she looks scary. She looks maniacal. Yeah, like she looks hungry. Yeah, she hungry. Uh, <laughs> she she runs into it. They all close their ears as she repeatedly rams into the window. Sydney tries speaking to her kid, asking if they are okay and that she is missing. She is missing them too. Trying the best to ignore L.A., she continues talking to her kid. Grant watching L.A. as she mouths something before walking away. Sydney asks them to speak to, with her dad. Um, calling them sweetheart, Mendez reminding her that they shouldn't um, be talking with anyone, pleading for her not to use sweethearts, um, commenting that they should be breathing more, repeating the word breathe, looking over at Grant, excusing that he's just talking out loud. Grant is still watching LA uh, electrocuting herself on the speaker. She c- comes back to the window as Sydney tells her child that it isn't her birthday but Valentine's Day, asking for her to put her dad on. She sings a Valentine's Day tune to her, L.A. walking away for a moment. And this is why I think her kid's already infected, and she's infected too. Where it's like her kitten is now talking gibberish of like, it's my birthday when she's like, it's Valentine's Day. Because uh, I was on the mindset that her birthday falls on Valentine's Day? No, that oh. Sydney was doing everything that she was told not to and got her kid infected. Possibly. Because I, was, I mean, she did She did say honey for... And sweetheart and honey so many times. And yeah. she was talking and... That's true. I, yeah, I just... I was You've like, been warned. Yeah. It's interesting. Before coming back and, sma- and smacking her head back onto the glass, banging on it with her hand, Sydney's line drops. The phone line's officially dead. L.A. is muttering on the other side while she bangs on the window. Mendez commenting that something strange is happening to her as and he's and he hasn't seen um, this before. She starts to back away, hyperventilating, gasping and gagging. Grant holding the card he forgot to give L.A. Sydney thanking him for for her Valentine's Day card, apologizing for for not saying anything before commenting that it was really nice la then proceeds to retch and vomit blood all over the glass before dropping to the floor whoa yeah that was gnarly everyone is disgusted except mendez weird ass who <laughs> finally realizes what happens when they ha- when they aren't able to find their victim calling it impressive telling himself to breathe while apologizing to the others for the uh, vileness he spots the others coming from the studio believing that this is possible possibly hundreds of them thinking um they need a flamethrower what the fuck like once again it's just like what you talking about bro yeah he's he's off the wall 
Grant reminds him that they are they aren't supposed to be talking while turning off the light and all moving back to the back of the booth on the ground. The group of people press and bang against the window. Grant grabbing a notebook and writing on on paper with a marker, asking, "What do they do now?" Mendez shrugs. Sydney writes, "Quote: If we throw our voices, will they follow?" End quote. Mendez scoffs, shaking his head. Grant wonders about the loudspeaker outside. Mendez promptly uh, writes the message, "We'll travel." Grant wonders what to say. Mendez responds, SOS, we are here. Grant writes that Sidney Breyer is alive. End quote. I don't know why that. I was also wondering why that. But I, I don't know. I don't know why that. It's like putting a big kick me st- like post it yeah. right on her back. Yeah, for real. They all agree as the mob continues smacking on the glass. Grant carefully takes the microphone as Sydney cautiously turns up the speaker. He repeats the message until Sydney loops it. The mob of people uh, start to retreat. Mendez excitedly claps that uh, claps that they can breathe again, repeating and stuttering the word. He starts speaking his native tongue. Sydney and Grant move away uh, move away from him. She writes um, out on the window. Grant nods his head. Mend- At first, I thought they were like kicking him out, like. Mendez out. <laughs> yeah, I thought like, so too. Like, get this motherfucker out of here. Like, like let's go. Mendez shouts that uh it is only the English language that's infected, yelling or uh yelling at at himself to breathe. Um he continues speaking frantically in his native tongue as Sydney comes up to Grant asking if he speaks French in French. He motions that he does a bit. She instructs him to uh, that they speak in French. He agrees, commenting for them to leave. As they approach the door, he uh uh, yeah, as they approach the door, uh, Mendez gets up trying to stop them, but they tell him that they are going to leave in French. Grant and Sydney walk walk out, looking at the L.A. Looking at um, I was looking at the L.A. Looking at L.A. All fucked up on the ground. He grabs his alcohol before they head upstairs. He asks where now. He answers to the kitchen as. She, as she is walking the, that direction, she spots a woman sitting on the chair. She yells for Grant to run. The infected woman uh, uh, repeatedly, or excuse me, uh, the infected woman re- repeating it as she jumps on top of her. He grabs the woman off of Sydney, throwing her on the wall, yelling for her to uh, uh, to come get him before before having the oddest fucking cuts of them beating <laughs> the living shit out of this woman. Sydney crying into Grant's chest when they're done. This was weird. It felt like a 2006 YouTube parody video with those cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It was very odd. I, 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 I was, it's very unexpected. It is. And if you, if there is intention behind it, it's not executed well. No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's like it, it felt very like it was jarring. supposed to be co- comedic. Really? Like, I think that's what it's supposed to be. If, uh, yeah, because, like, I the way that, know. like, it switches to just, like, him kicking the shit out of the, out of this kid. And then it cuts again to Sydney joining her. <laughs> like, so I think it's supposed to be comedic. And then it cuts again to her crying into his chest. Very odd to me. It's very odd. They keep moving. She notices that Mendez is still going on inside the booth. Um... 
She wonders if he's dangerous. He believes so. She asks if he's going to kill the doctor, but he isn't. He responds that she killed the kid um, and will kill the doctor. She tells him that she didn't kill the kid. He says yes. She responds no, blaming him for killing the kid. He accepts that, commenting that he uh, that she has to kill the doctor. Then <laughs> she whispers that she doesn't under that she isn't going to kill the doctor in English. He agrees, uh, bringing him the bringing bringing him the scenario if the doctor attacks him he will kill him the power shuts off and comes back on comes back on with the canadian national anthem they they throw what uh whatever they can at the speaker to silence the noise mendez comes out of the booth yelling at him uh in his foreign language she hands grant a hammer he smashes the speaker noticing mendez yelling um that he, he's coming he quickly walks into the uh, he quickly walks into the room, grabbing a weapon of his own, instructing them to lock lock the door. I love how he like literally is not running in the room. He like does this kind of fast walking sprint <laughs> motion thing where it's like yeah. <laughs> lock the door uh the group of people all yelling and chanting mendez slips out of the window that he came in from dude, I imagine <laughs> him giggling as he crawls out. I don't get it. It is, although I love this shit. Like I love that this is just bonkers. (laughs) Like that's just like it makes no sense. And I'm just like, I dig it. I dig the fact that this doesn't make sense. And once you accept the fact that it doesn't make sense, it's fun. It's hard to get to the point though where you can accept that it doesn't make sense because it presents itself as As making sense, being so serious. Right. No, that's true. I mean, I get it. I definitely get it, but. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, the, gr- <laughs> the group of people all yelling and chattering. Mendez slips out of the window, yelling that Sydney Breyer is alive. The infected mob run out, repeating his chants. She realizes that Mendez is saving them as their as their voice as his voice fades, and Mendez. Er- Excuse me. She realizes that Mendez is saving them as their voice fades, and Mendez's voice turns faint. Cuts to cuts off. Uh, cuts to the the state of the studio. So um. Some dead bodies around. It was just like a couple. I don't know how they died. Uh, Sydney and Grant are in the closet. She writes her name. Um, she writes her name in that today she killed a girl and that she's sorry. She takes a swig from the bottle as Grant takes the recording of uh, takes the recording of Nigel and plays it in the CD player. The crowd chants for Grant to not walk out on them. They are listening to uh, Nigel. Grant scribbles on a page. She asks uh, why he doesn't speak speak up. He shushes her um, to speak in French. She drunkenly apologizes. He scribbles for her to not talk as she continues li- as he continues listening. She comments um, that her head hurts he slams on the board she tells him to give give it up uh, they're not being a secret escape plan in the words of nigel he shouts for her to stop she yells for nigel to stop um she yells for nigel to stop that uh that as the words understand repeat he he asks her how to stop understanding this she thinks he's he lost it and that he's he's going to eat her, eat her soon accepting that he will be the killer because she doesn't want to be Okay. He ignores her, reminding her that Mendez said understanding the words copies the virus. And how do you not understand? How do you not understand a word? She comments that he's he's uh, talking a lot right now. He continues wondering how you can not understand something and how you can make it strange, wondering how it uh, it can disinfect it without distorting it. Sydney mentions that. Uh, Sydney pretty much mentions uh, that you kill the word that's killing you. 
And I, if I was sitting, I would be like, when he asked the question, um, like, how can you make something strange? I'm like, you're doing it. <laughs> like, like you're literally doing it right now grant like you're yeah. making it very strange for all of us involved right now <laughs> grant remembers that he used uh he used to repeat words over and over again as a kid until they were incomprehensible he asked if he thinks uh that's what it is some kind of immune system response she answers that you will kill all the killing he wonders if that doesn't uh work because you repeat the word um then they will still get stick or sick she begins to sob he but he still questions how how to make the words unrecognizable she repeats kill he asks if she's okay thinking that she um has an infected word he stops her trying to convince her that kill isn't kill repeating it over and over he continues trying to yell that kill is um uh, and he's like trying all bunch of different words at this point right Landing on kiss, she calms down as he repeats it to her, asking uh, her what what is kill. She repeats kiss. She whispers for him to kill her as she begins to kiss him. She uh, they start to passionately kiss before stopping for a moment. She claims that she feels better. He shushes her as a helicopter is overhead, and it's like he shushes her because he wants to listen to the helicopter, but he shushes her because he's like. I just cured you, like, <laughs> like, and I had a brain blast, and I'm going to cure the rest of the world now. Uh, she repeats the question of what just happened, Grant knowing that he just cured her, finding this to be a huge breakthrough. Cut to them going back toward the booth, and uh, she asks, where is he going? Grant co- uh, comments that they are going to tell everyone about this, knowing that he can help cure people. Um, he tells her one last show as she reminds him that they aren't supposed to be down there. He stops her. Enthusiastic, enthusiastic commenting that they are about to save the fucking world she tries to reason with her, with her with her doubts not knowing what uh what he even did or if it was uh from him they said just stay up there and not talk grant starts walking walking to the booth she yells that they either shut up or die he turns around sharing the reality of people already dying and that they are playing muzak not understanding what what he did up did up there but he knows that he he did something. Sure. She agrees. He heads inside the booth. She goes to her post, quickly going over the message in French, said, um, said terms of endearment and baby talk, knowing how to uh, clean up her word and wondering what L.A. was babbling about. Remembering what Ken's, Ken's saying was, it being quote-unquote sample. She tells him that they, they need, that they need, excuse me, she tells him that they need a, or, he tells tells her that they need a list, but there's no time, so he just goes straight to the air, calmly telling the listeners of uh, while there's a battleground outside that kill is kiss, and it's just like a legit battleground, like it is fucking insane outside. Sounds like they're taking out the whole town, right? Yeah. He turns sample into staple, but Sydney knows that that is too uh, specific. An explosion overhead as a man in, um, speaking in French asks if Sydney is um, still alive. Grant tries to continue as the explosions overhead get closer and closer, commenting that they need to stop understanding what they're saying. She tells him um, that this is too sp- specific and it defeats the purpose. The man speaking in French tells her to stop the broadcast and, Grant, and that Grant is sick. That's why I think he's he's the one who might be the host. It was so weird that they called that out. Yeah. Super interest, interesting. But I feel like they can't hear this man or something. Or they're just choosing to ignore him. 
I, I don't know because he's he's broadcasting on radio, right? So yeah. Maybe they're just not tuned in, or maybe maybe some people on their team are, and like the person on the intercom isn't listening, but the That's someone is there listening to the radio, be like. He's saying this, you know? Right, maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Grant uh, continues that they are starting to sound like haikus. He asks for her help, yelling words at her as she changes them, becoming more and more frantic. She yells that they are killing people while, while she ducks down. He starts shouting for them to stop killing people, yelling stop as loud as he can. The room and their surroundings fall silent. He moves back to the microphone, telling them to just listen to him, telling them that they are killing scared people, calling them dogs, spelling fear and pouncing. He continues that they were that they were never making sense, and that today was Armageddon and destroyed everyone's morning. But it is just another day in Pontypool, and today's news is the, is that uh, and today's news is that it isn't the end of the world. It's just the the it's just the end of the day. He sighs he signs himself off that he's still there, calling them cocksuckers. Sydney is smiling by his impromptu speech for some reason. The man ca- counting down in, uh, from ten in French. She runs into the booth, kissing him as they end the countdown. Then credits. Damn, the motherfuckers died. like they dead bro there's no way no way you know what i'm saying anyway i enjoy it yeah i enjoy this movie like i do enjoy this movie i I find it extremely clever and i find it very different and like when people say like we want original content is like there's nothing more original than this this is original content it is very unique and it is very clever i think I think it's a big deal that it's so contained in one location on one set Genius. and have the impact of something that's almost close to world ending. Right. That's hard to pull off. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyway, I got some movie facts for us here. Movie facts. <gasps> you were right, David. Pontypool was produced as both a motion picture and as a radio play. Both versions of Pontypool were influenced by Orson Welles' infamous radio production, wow. The War of the Worlds. The me. radio play was broadcast on AB- on BBC's art and culture section of their World Service website. It is approximately 58 minutes long as opposed to the film's running time of 95 minutes. I'm such a media major. Oh, my God. <laughs> that he is, folks. That he is. Uh, the original conceptual conceptualization for the movie was to have Tony Burgess read the script with the wavering line being the only visual. Sydney, uh, Sydney's voice would be heard and Laurel Ann would only get a mention. Interesting. That would have been fascinating. Yeah, I think that would have been even, even more confusing though. It would have been. But have you seen that show on Apple TV Plus called Calls? Uh, isn't it just sound waves? Yes. So I haven't watched through it myself, but I've seen like trailers of it and all it that. Is, it sounds like it's pretty much that, and it's fucking incredible. Yeah. It's really good. It's. Uh, I thought of that show when this movie opened up. Oh, really? Because of the waves. Yeah. I mean, I did too, actually. It did pop into my head. But um, like Fade Alvarez, I think, is the director of it. And it's, it's just, it absolutely is incredible. Um, the film stars Stephen McHattie and Lisa Hull, who are uh, coincidentally married in real life. Go figure. Hmm. 
I, yeah, I would have known. I didn't really see this chemistry there. Um, writer Tony Burgess and director Bruce McDonald feel that feel that the events of the film are truer to the actual unpredicted nature of a virus. Why person A would contract the virus and why person B would not. Fuck. Damn. That makes so much more sense. Holy shit. Uh, let's, get, let's get a slightly juicy one to end off on here. Um... This looks juicy. Bruce McDonald, the director of the film, has said that the victims of the virus are called conversationalists as opposed to zombies. In describing the stages of the virus, McDonald said, quote, there are three stages to this virus. The first stage is you might uh, you might begin to repeat a word. Something gets stuck. And usually it's it's uh, words that are terms of endearment like sweetheart or honey. The second stage is your language becomes scrambled and you can't express yourself properly. The oh. third stage is that you become so distraught at your condition that the only way out of the situation you feel as an infected person is to try and chew your way through the mouth of another person wow okay so that gives us a lot of answers that we so many needed throughout the movie um and, and I let's think, talk about them in the post show let's do it because i want to i really want to break this down a yeah, little bit more that'd be great but god damn we definitely want to keep the conversation going about Pony Pool over on Twitter at nightlight underscore pod. That's night with a K. Or you could head over to our Discord, which is in the show notes. It is a lot of fun in there. So definitely come on in. <laughs> come on in. But the next film that we are going to be covering for next week is 2010's The Crazies. One of my favorite movies. Really? One of my favorite movies. Like, not even get it. I don't think I've heard of of it but 2010 was a that was pretty a year. memorable year yeah i mean i love this movie so much that is hands down my favorite zombie movie ever wow yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> but anyway this was nightlight a horror movie podcast I was Warner Hills Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we had David. Stay spooky, everyone. Also known as Knightly. Our efforts to get this show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to somebody who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's like with the wood. Okay. <gasps> By pledging on Patreon, you have access to this show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight. Actually, if you're still here, still <gasps> listening to this, I'm curious on how many people actually listen to the end. <laughs> so if you are listening to this, Hit me up on Twitter at the head night, sign with a K, and DM me. My DMs are open, and tell me that you listen to this, and I got something special for you. Specifically, this episode. Specifically, this episode. So hey, hit me up. All right, it's been a pleasure serving. <laughs> <laughs>